1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017
2: and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Drovetta. I am Derek Johnson. We are just two days away. The wait for the final four from Monday you know, I, I I like having a few days off in between. We can revel in what's going on and whatnot, not just like a quick turnaround. I, I it's so long, and and I kind of like it because we get a whole week to spend talking about important, you know, KU basketball stuff. But it it just just be here already. Just yeah, be here. I always I always um, since I've started this job, I've
0: always judged my week by. Um, my, my weekend to me kind of begins, and maybe this is a bad sign of how I treat Fridays, but my weekend kind of begins when I send the last sports update of the week. And Derek used to do this, and, and for those of you who don't know, we record the sports update uh, every night, a, a little before midnight, and then I email it in uh, so it can play on the morning shows. Um, and so to me, like my weekend always begins Thursday night when I finish the final sports update for the week. Um, and so that it, it, yeah, it, it's kind of been this whole, you know, it's, it's been like this, I'm a day behind every, it's like, Oh wait, is it? Oh no, it's only Tuesday. I thought it was Wednesday. You know, it's one of those. Um, but Hey man, two more days. That's
2: it. Which is uh very, very exciting.
0: Um, and the, the nice thing for us is we were talking about how insane for the players and coaches it must be that you have a media availability session every single day. Uh, but for us, it makes our jobs quite a bit easier.
2: Yeah, it does. We're going to have plenty of Bill Self Audio, Player Audio to play for you today and on tomorrow's show. We've also got three more guests joining us today. Michael Swain, uh, Fog.net will join us at 340, Scott Pollard at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, and Shane Jackson at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage is brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports, Big City Selection, and Small Town Service on bikes, off-road vehicles, and watercrafts located on off Highway 24 in Topeka. Make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting for the spring and summer ahead with Cycle Zone Power Sports. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage, also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. It's the same for a house. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free. Plus, receive 10% off if you call Panky Foundation Repair and mention you heard it on Rock Truck Sports Talk at 785-505-0577. So KU takes on Villanova in uh, about uh, 50 hours from right now. I, I think the the common theme of you know scouting this game or talking about this game, keys to this game, we've mentioned it several times this week, but I want to kind of go more in depth on this stuff. How does Kansas guard Villanova at the 5 and how does Kansas guard Villanova with their guards backing down? And obviously, Justin Moore isn't going to be a part of this game. Tears his Achilles. Um, they did have a game where they were without him against UConn earlier this year, which you know UConn was a good team. They were a five seed. They had a pretty good defense, and Villanova hung eighty-five points on them. Uh, Chris Archidiacono, the younger brother of Ryan Archidiacono, scored nine points in that game, playing a bigger role. So I, I'd assume he's going to play a bigger role. I'd assume Brian Antoine, who's a former five-star recruit and hasn't really played a ton, he's going to play a little bit more for them. Uh, but how do you kind of kind of look at how Kansas goes about defending Villanova?
0: Um, I think you're – I'll be uh, – it's going to be hard. I, I have a hard time believing they're not going to at least try to switch like they'd switch the top four, like they have done all year. The problem is that's going to be a more difficult thing to do when you've got dudes who constantly guard, you know, uh, who constantly um, post up as guards. So part of me wonders if it's just going to be Dewan, uh, who is this year's best defender, um, if it's going to be Dewan um, on a single guy, just they'll, they'll scout who they believe. Um, is the um, is the bet now the 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 uh, injured the kid who got injured is probably their best guard at, at posting up, but Gillespie's still very good. So I wonder if it's just you know uh, Dewan Harris on uh, Colin Gillespie the whole time, or if they're going to switch th- their their four guards like they have done all year, uh, or if Jalen Wilson you know because ath- he has defensive lapses but athletically he's very very athletic. But Dewan seems to be the dude when it comes to defense. Um, Which leads me to my next question. If you do that, does that mean you're going to see a lot more two guards with Remy and Dewan on the floor at the same time? Or are you just going to put Remy on there and say, you know, I hope that whoever Remy guards, uh, he stays focused and he stays into it. Because a lot of the advantages you have on offense, if you're Kansas... Uh, whether that be Dave with his size, uh you know or the fact that you can get them in foul trouble uh, and, and and cut into what is already a very 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 shallow bench. you know those are all options, but the problem is if you do that to get your, to garner yourself an advantage on the offensive end, you are uh hurting're you're, you're, you're not putting your best foot forward on the defensive end. Um, however, it is worth noting that Kansas has become, over the last few weeks, one of the best defensive teams in the country. Having said that, they haven't played. This is a very unique thing that that Villanova does.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, I, it, It's really going to be a chess match. And, um, you know, in the same sense of us talking about how are they going to defend Villanova, they're also very much influenced in this is how does Villanova guard Kansas? And it's easy to say, well... You know, if KU's playing two small guards next to each other with Remy playing with Dewan, or even if just one of them's in there and Villanova's able to kind of take advantage of that and post up one of KU's smaller guards and get them into a situation that they like for easy buckets, um, what if the flip side of that is even though Remy Martin's getting posted up, Remy Martin is like cooking. Colin Gillespie or something, right? There there's two sides of this. Now, if one dominates the other, then you start to see that chess match kind of come in. Like how are you gonna adjust? Would KU only play one guard if that, you know, one lead guard at a time, if if that continues to happen? Um, would KU, you know, play a zone to try to deal with not having your center playing out on the perimeter against their small ball five? I I I don't know how that's all going to work, but again, going back to the flip side, how does Villanova guard Kansas, the same way we're talking about how on earth is Kansas going to figure these things out against the Villanova offense, I'm sure, you know, if if we're sitting here and, and looking at the Villanova side of things, like, you're probably looking at it and going, man, how are we going to defend David McCormick down low, or how are we going to defend Mitch Lightfoot down yeah. low in the post, right? And if it ends up being something where they just double-team, you know, we have seen that cause issues for David McCormick at times, but we've also seen times where David McCormick has had good vision and been able to, you know, get it out of the post and and cause some issues for the defense by putting them into a scramble. I, I just think that um, when you look at Really, that side of it, too, they're sitting there going, how do we defend Ochai? How do we defend David McCormick? How do we defend Remy Martin? There's probably a lot of similarities, too. I I think these are probably pretty two even teams, and I know this sounds really stupid, but this feels very much like a game where it's less about, well, I had the perfect game plan, so we won, and it's just both teams have differing game plans. Whoever executes it better is going to come out on top. Part of me wonders if they're
0: going to try to... um start defending I don't you know not not full court although occasionally you've seen self send a guard to guard this is gonna be the word guard a lot. They'll send a guard to defend another team's guard full court. They won't do a full team full court press, but they'll send one guard to defend another guard and, and kind of shadow him the whole way. I wonder if you'll do that or if at the very least you'll you'll meet a guy at half court. To, to try to get them from ever really getting in or to to have to chew up as much of the shot clock as possible before you even get before you even let them get into their offensive rhythm um they are quick so I, that's that's the you know I, a lot of teams you know if they do that against Kansas particularly if Remy, Remy Martin has the ball he can just cut right by and then all of a sudden it's 5 on 4 so I, I don't know if they do that because there is some quickness on this Villanova team, but that is an option that if you meet them at half court and start guarding them way, 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 way up there, uh, then you're not even you're you're taking away time that they would otherwise be spending posting their guards, which is conceivably where we see the biggest mismatch in, in Villanova's favor when they're on offense.
2: I think when you look at the coaching matchup of this one, um, one thing we know about Jay Wright is. You know, he's, he's a little similar to Bill Belichick in a certain way. One of the things that, that Bill Belichick is known for is that he's going to try to take away what makes you your best. So, um, a lot of times you'll see, like, let's say Bill Belichick's playing the Chiefs. He might double team Travis Kelsey, and then he'll put his, but with his, like, second best DB, and then he'll put his best corner on Tyreek Hill, and he'll basically say, You can beat me with your other guys. Go for it. Try to. And for a lot of teams, if you're playing with one hand tied behind your back, you're not going to be as good. And for instance, the 2016 game really comes to mind. I mean, 2018, it wouldn't have mattered what, you know, Jay Wright was trying to take away. They, scored 95 points. Exactly. 2016 game was, I think, going to be a closer resemblance of this game in terms of the tempo, the score, and everything. That game ended, I think, 64-59 in in favor of Villanova. Lower scoring game, more of a grinded-out game, played at a lower tempo. Uh, It's easier to slow it down than it is speed it up, and, and that's what Villanova wants to do. And Perry Ellis, who was KU's top option on offense that season, he was limited to four points on one of five shooting, and and you contrast that to the game right before where he goes for 20, 25 points against Maryland, takes over that game in the second half. He did that. He took away KU's best player, and KU wasn't able to do that. So, do you um, have?
0: Sorry, go ahead. no. Go ahead. I, well,
2: I, do you have that that box score in front of you? I do not. I'm
0: curious. The reason I ask, I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot right like that, but I I am curious how many. Uh, he only he only took five shots, so you know he not only did he not score much, he never even got a chance to shoot much. I'm curious what his turnovers number would, numbers would be because as much as um, Dave has a size advantage, we have seen, and you brought this up a, a couple minutes ago, you, that when, when Dave gets uh, double teamed, particularly when he gets the, the double teamed by dudes who are shorter than him, he has a habit of, of a lot of turnovers. So if this is going to be a uh, – if Villanova – I would say a successful night against David McCormick for Villanova would be a night where he's only able to get up about six or seven shots and they don't foul him very much. So whatever missed shots he has, he can't make up for at the free throw line. And then on top of that, they force him to turn the ball over five times.
2: Yeah, so I, I have the box score in front of me now. Um, Perry has had four points in 34 minutes on one of five shooting. He had five rebounds. He had four turnovers. Okay.
0: And I just, I think that would be, I would declare that if you're Villanova, I think you declare that a success. If you if you keep David McCormick shooting down to to four or five attempts, uh, and then you also force four or five turnovers, and the other side of that is going to be KU would then have to counter with some, what they couldn't
2: do against Villanova in 2016, and they're going to have to shoot. They're going to have to make threes. Yeah. Devontae Graham hit five threes in that game. Everybody else combined for KU hit one. Yeah, Uh, They weren't hitting them consistently. Wayne Seldon, who had a great year shooting from three, just they weren't falling down that game. Sometimes that happens, but you're going to need them to fall a little bit more in this one. I I am curious if, you know, let's say Jay Wright is approaching this as, I'm going to try to take away what Kansas does best. I I don't think it would be an individual player because it— like if you say, "Hey, we're going to try to take away Ochai Babji," we've seen other games this year where teams have face guarded Ochai Babji, and the rest of the team has gone off because of it because you've paid so much attention to him. And and there's so many options on this Kansas team. Like if you take yeah. away David McCormick, okay, Ochai, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, you know, if you take away Ochai, Remy Martin, Jalen, like there there are too many options. I think on this Kansas team to focus on one individual, so I I kind of feel like. If you're looking at this as what would Jay Wright try to take away, to me it's more of something that the team does well as opposed to an individual, which leads me to believe that, you know, it would be, I don't know, maybe it is something about taking away like cuts because Jay Wright's mentioned that a couple times in his his different media availabilities, like how fast and how well and how hard Kansas cuts, and that's how they get a lot of points and get a lot of easy twos. I'm sure they're going to focus on that. But the biggest thing that I think that they're going to take or try to take away this goes back in the conversation how I think the tempo is going to be played. It's the transition game.
0: Yeah, yeah, and but that, and that's gonna that's gonna go to you do that one of two ways. One, you either make shots, which is the most the, the most effective way to do it because uh, one it it eliminates their potential transition game, and two it gets you a point. It gets you points, which is uh it's super important, obviously. Um, but then the other way is do you say forget the uh, we're going to give you the defensive rebound in an effort to get back on defense if we make the shot those are the two primary ways to do that um and that's where KU buckling down on defense will be huge if they can force missed shots um but then the other side of that is if you do get a bunch of offensive rebounds you're also preventing them from getting out in transition because they have to defend you again for another 30 seconds Again, the other side of that is if you if you if you sell out for an offensive rebound and you don't get it, you've just given the other team probably a four on two or a three on two. Um, so that that would be. Um, but I oh, that's what, the other thing I was going to bring up is how many times on Big Monday. And, and I'm sure I was at the Big 12 final, so I didn't see the broadcast, but I'm sure they showed it plenty there, too. But how many times on Big Monday in Allen Fieldhouse did ESPN show that damn whiteboard in Texas Tech's mm. huddle that says no lobs, no backdoors? And you want to talk? I mean, you want to talk about a bread and butter that's you know they kind of that that Princeton backdoor play that KU runs to perfection so much, and at least twice a game, once or twice a game if if run right will get a guard a dunk because it'll go big man comes out to the high post, guard dumps it into him guard cuts from the uh from the corner uh big man delivers that little bounce pass and, and I think they call it
2: blind pig. Yeah, typically yeah. it's
0: Ochai who uh who cans the the dunk in that situation but um that if you want to talk about not taking away a player but taking away what they do well, that would be the biggest one. Cuts, backdoors, lobs. Yeah. And and backdoors and lobs tend to go hand in hand. If you saw like the lob to Ochai, whether it be the, the one against Providence or the one, um, most of those lobs come from backdoor cuts. So um, that would be an example of not necessarily taking away a player but taking away something that they do effectively.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. They're going to try to stop the lobs, try to stop the back doors, try to double in the post, harass there, and they're going to basically say, KU, you're going to have to beat us off the bounce. You're going to have to hit shots. And as far as stopping the transition game, they're going to say, let's play a half-court game. Villanova plays at the 345th fastest, or I guess in another way of putting it, they are the 14th slowest team in the country in pace. Kansas is 18-0 this year in games with 70 or more possessions. They're 14-6 in other games. Again, still a good record. Those have all come pretty much against good teams, but obviously pales in comparison to 18-0. Villanova has played a grand total of four games with even 70 or more possessions. This is probably going to be a lower-scoring game. It's going to be a lower-tempo game. Kansas won't have as many opportunities to get in transition. I think that'll be a designed plan for Villanova and it's just going to come down to if they can execute in the half court. We'll talk more about this game tomorrow and throughout the rest of today here on RCST. Coming up next, we'll let you listen in to a little bit of what Bill Self had to say at his media availability earlier today. Michael Swain joins us in less than 20 minutes. With Adam Rivetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. 340 here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We have plenty of guests on today. Again, Shane Jackson, top of the 5 o'clock hour. Scott Pollard at 4, but right now joined by Michael Swain of Fog.net, who's down in New Orleans covering the final four for Fog.net and 24-7 sports. Uh, Michael, last week you shared your controversial, if not wrong, opinion on deep dish pizza. Uh, Do you have any controversial food opinions on New Orleans?
3: No, I'm actually really excited to kind of get out and try some authentic New Orleans food. I'm a huge gumbo fan, and whatever you can find, kind of your, your traditional style, whatever, in Kansas City or anything like that, but I'm excited to try the real stuff, so um, it should be a fun fun week of food trying, and I'm hopefully not going to come out with any terrible takes, but no guarantee. Mm. I, I like,
2: I like might be not strong enough, but I, I really like uh, gumbo and jambalaya, but I can never remember the difference between the two. Do you know the difference between the two?
3: Oh, absolutely not. I, As far as I'm concerned, they're the same. <laughs> okay,
2: okay. Um, so Bill Self <laughs> made some comments the other day about, you know, the importance of, of trying to win a title for KU and that uh, as a program, they measure up as good, if not better than anyone else in all these different areas, but they're not quite there in terms of the titles, and, and you don't always see that from a head coach given kind of the, the the look at that and and how much that does mean to them um and how much they are kind of thinking about that what what did you make about those comments of uh need for a title uh sta- and kind of impacting the standing of the program
3: yeah i think it's important to start here first and then we'll all dive into that i think bill self has been very introspective you know over the last 10 days or so i think the most introspective I've seen him since I started covering the team kind of in that 2017, 2018 season, you know, he spent a lot of time talking about that and the 2018 team. And he's alluded to some mistakes that were made with that team heading into the final four. So I think for him to say that is it's kind of like the saying the quiet part out loud, right? That's something that gets talked about a lot, maybe on the national front when you're talking about Bill Self's legacy at KU, but to have him come out, and talk about it, and I think talk about it pretty eloquently, in terms of saying, hey, game to game, we can beat anybody in the country, but winning, you know, the eight or winning kind of the the games necessary in March to get there, you know, the six games, they haven't been able to do that more than once. And so I think that you look at this weekend, you have a great chance to do that. You've got a really good team. You've got one of the best players in the country. And I think Bill Self talked about Ochai too, and having maybe one of the best, if not the best season of any Kansas player as long as he's been there. So I think for KU, it's a big opportunity. I think they are a little bit fortunate in the fact that this KU Villanova game is not the spotlight and that they kind of can fly under the radar. So I think it is big for KU this weekend to, to at least make the title game, and you know they do have a chance to win it all.
2: Where do you think Kansas has the advantage on Saturday against Villanova, and on the flip side, where do you think Villanova has the advantage?
3: Yeah, I think KU has an advantage in terms of depth, in terms of the wings that it has. I think you look at the physicality of guys like Jalen Wilson and Dave McCormick and Christian Brown, You know, that word physical came up a ton today when we were talking to the Villanova players, and they were super, super aware of it. And you even heard it from Miami, too, where those Miami players were talking about, this is going to be one of those physical teams we have played all season. And so I think KU definitely... Has an advantage there, but I think for Villanova, it's hard not to look at their advantage in terms of being able to kind of post some of their guards because some of the times this season when Katie's been at its best is when it's had, you know, Remy Martin and Dewan Harris on the floor together or having Remy Martin on the floor out there in general. And if you were to pinpoint kind of what is Remy Martin not great at, I think you could say, hey, if you post Remy Martin up, I think that's where he can be super exploited. So someone like Colin Gillespie. Posting Remy Martin up, does that get him in foul trouble to where all of a sudden KU's kind of great equalizer can't make that impact? I think for me, that's kind of like the big area that I'll be watching is the foul trouble based on how disciplined Villanova is and how undisciplined KU was. So I think KU, if you're going to map out the number of advantages KU has, they have more than Villanova just in terms of depth, the size, the athleticism, the pace that they play in. But I think that what Villanova can do can maybe neutralize some of those things for KU if they play their hand right.
2: Is there a a lineup that you think might end up being the most ideal for KU against Villanova and and maybe a lineup that they should try to avoid?
3: Yeah, I think really any lineup that has the the one-point guard, right, I think you're going to want to play as much of that kind of the trio of you know Brown, Abaji and Wilson that you saw so much during conference play. I think really relying on, on those three is going to be huge. And then can Remy Martin and Dewan Harris stay on the floor and not get in foul trouble? Because if you look at Gillespie, um, I think you're going to want to have Dewan Harris on him because he's the one guy left, really, that can shoot a bunch of threes because Moore was uh, one of their best three-point shooters as well. So now you're looking at Gillespie. If you're mapping out a road to victory from Villanova, you need Gillespie to go off for 20-plus. Well, You don't want to put Dewan Harris on him, I think, for a good chunk of it, unless all of a sudden you get in the part of the game where every time down the floor they're just backing down Harris. And then you probably got to figure out, you know, is Brown or Abaji going to go take care of Gillespie? So I think that any sort of lineup with those three, um, and then I think Mitch and Dave have been so interchangeable lately. They both brought different things to the floor, but they've both been playable, that I'm not really sure it necessarily matters which one of those two has been out there, just because I think you saw against Miami that those two are just playing at a really good level right now.
2: We're talking with Michael Swain of Fog.net here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When you look at how Villanova has had some success against Kansas and Jay Wright over Bill Self, especially of late in the NCAA tournament, does that play into the game at all for you, the way you're looking at this, either in Villanova's favor because of past track record or maybe even a revenge factor for KU? I think there's a little bit of that, but
3: it's maybe more so for, you know, Bill Self and and Mitch Lightfoot in terms of the revenge factor than anyone else, just because there's not much that's the same. And so I think for KU, you look at it and, you know, Villanova does have the fives that can space, but this isn't, you know, Amari Spellman, right, who is in the NBA because of his three-point shooting. Like, these are guys that are three-point shooters. They're not, you know, like the NBA-level flamethrower type of three-point shooters that she's from big men. So I think for me, like, I'm not necessarily three-point shooting with big men obviously concerns me with Dave McCormick. That's been an issue this season. Um, but you saw against Miami, you're able to play through that with that physicality inside. So I think that KU has shown that it can kind of go with size over kind of that athleticism at the five with guys like Dave. So I think I, I kind of hit back on the earlier point. I do think that kind of a, the posting and the foul trouble that could come from it is kind of the big area for concern. But I think KU now at this point, you know, Bill Self and Jay Wright played so much over the last few years that in terms of the coaching, that style of play, I think you have some tricks that you could probably rely on in terms of how you coach these guys to go up against it.
2: More points in the final four for Kansas. Remy Martin plus Jalen coleman lands or Ochag Baji? Remy Martin
3: and Jalen. Um, give me Ochai. I think this is a decent matchup for him, and I liked what I saw in terms of the three-point shooting against Miami you know, obviously only took two of them, but I think for him, it's not about forcing it. I think you saw maybe in that Providence game, that Ochai took a couple of transition threes that you're thinking, man, you're really forcing things here. Oh, you know, this is not necessarily a shot that you're taking um, a-, a ton. So I-, I do like where he's trending. I do think for me, I- I'm curious to see Remy Martin defensively, you know, if, Villanova does try and exploit him which I think they probably will Um, is he going to be able to stay on the floor and is Bill Self going to roll with Remy Martin if he's kind of getting exploited inside by Gillespie or any one of those other kind of bigger guards or wings that Villanova does have so uh, I think I probably would have to go with O'Chai there.
2: More rebounds in the final four. David McCormick plus Mitch Lightfoot or Jalen Wilson?
3: I'll I'll go with Dave Dave and Mitch I think that's a trick one.
2: Um, I, I think
3: you'll you'll see a. I'll go out and say it. I think you'll see a, a Dave double double on Saturday. Yeah. Um, I think that you're looking at someone, even though the foot is still clearly an issue. And I think that that is as the season has gone on. I think it's hard not to notice it a little bit more and more. Um, I think that this matchup for him, they don't have a guy that's over six foot nine. And he's going to have the size advantage inside. And so I think this is one of those Dave games where I think you're, you could see a, a five and five where it's five offensive boards and five defensive boards for him. Um, and that allows the guys like Brown and Wilson and Abaji to go get the ball off the defensive glass and run, which I think is also a key for KU. So um, I do like Mitch and Dave in that one, just because I think Joe Wilson, is he going to get 10? Yeah, probably. But I, I like the chances of Dave and Mitch getting up to that 15-plus mark in the rebound front.
2: Okay, I did want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, McDonald's All-American game that happened uh, just the other night. Obviously, there's going to be high expectations for Grady Dick. You win Gatorade National Player of the Year. The other guy who played in the game was Ernest Uday. What, what do you kind of envision the impact being on, on KU next season for those two guys?
3: Yeah, I'm really fascinated by it. I think the dynamic of the front court is going to be super interesting this off season to see what KU does because I think what KU does in the portal is going to tell us a lot about what they think. Because you look at it and you think like, all right, so Zach Clements is he going to start at the five? Because it seems like right now that's kind of the where things are trending, right? Because you're going to lose Mitch and you're going to lose Dave, so. Is it going to be Zach Cummins at the five, or are they going to go out and get a transfer at the five? And if they get a transfer at the five, I think that tells us that they think Zach might need some more time to, to be a starter at the Big 12 level. Um, and the same thing with Ernest Uday, who uh, you're alluding to there. I think he's someone that I look at. He, he, Ramsey Nijam, the, the strength coach, is going to have to work with him because I think strength will be the big question mark coming into college. Clearly, the athleticism, the length, the shot-blocking ability, that's there. Um, I think that's exciting because I think you look at him being closer to maybe a um, not comparing him to Udok Azbuki because the size for Doke was so overwhelming. But in terms of the shot blocking presence inside, I think he's someone that can provide that, which is different than a Zach Clements, who's more of an offensive threat. Right. He's got a little bit short of a wingspan um, than someone like Ernest. So I think the transfer portal will tell us what KU thinks about its big man situation going in next season. But I think he's someone that will compete for some minutes at the start of his career.
2: So you mentioned Dave not coming back, and I've kind of been under that assumption as well. Um, who do you think is is more likely to be back for Kansas next season? I, I don't know why I'm doing this now. We can do this in a couple weeks, but I don't know. Uh, Jalen Wilson or David McCormick? Jalen Wilson.
3: I think you, you can now – we were actually – it's funny. I was just looking this up before um, I walked back to the hotel from the media room. It, you can now test multiple times, right, where before you could test. If you came back, you couldn't test again. Um, from my understanding of the rules and what I read, it looks like you can test as many times and maintain eligibility if you don't get an agent. So I think you'll see Jalen Wilson test. I think he's going to hear, hey, good improvement this season. Um, Be a more consistent three-point shooter. Show a little bit more athleticism and burst. And he will come back to college and be able to um, be really solid. I think Dave... I think this is the end. I think that at the end of the season, you know, Dave even talked about it senior night where he's like, you know, I'm treating this as kind of the end. And unless something drastically changes, I think Dave's going to go and try and make some money playing basketball, which I think for him, you look at the KU career, you look at the foot injury, I think it's time for him to kind of move on and go make some money.
2: We didn't get CMJ Rice in that McDonald's All-American game, but you um, know all the comments that it seemed to make or that you would see come out during the week, of the McDonald's All-American game, and it seems like every time we hear from him, it sounds like he will be in Lawrence, um, even though there's been kind of that rumor floating around of that, you know, maybe he could go a professional route and go to the G League Ignite or overseas or whatever. Is is that still a floating rumor about him going pro, or is it starting to look more and more likely that he will actually end up on KU's campus?
3: It's both of those things that you just said. There's still the rumor out there. Um, I talked about with our VIP subscribers this week that, you know, that's going to be there until he gets on campus until you see him arrive at Allen field house at the McCarthy hall with his bags. It's going to be a rumor out there, but right now it seems like the plan is going to be to go to KU. It doesn't sound like the, the pro offer that they were kind of looking for um, or potentially looking for, I should say uh, is there and everything that he said, everything that people coming out of kind of his family in, in camp, if you would like to call it that um, it sounds like it, that's the plan and he's going to show up to KU and try and compete for a starting job for the, from the jump.
2: Switching over to KU football real quick because the spring game, or I forget what it's called, spring showcase or something like that, I I don't know what that means, but um, it's actually occurring pretty soon. It's uh, a week from this Saturday. Uh, uh, What's been kind of the biggest note for you in in keeping up from uh, at least trying to with all this KU basketball stuff with the KU football team over the last couple weeks of spring ball?
3: Yeah, I think there's a few things. And to start off, it's not going to be a game. The showcase is a very good way to phrase it. It's going to be like a practice type of – it's just not going to be your traditional spring game. As for things that have caught my attention, I think defensively it seems like is taking some steps in the right direction, which last year you looked at the defense and it was, man, like can you just get a stop? Um, and you saw it against Texas where it just turns out to be a shootout sometimes with the defense. And I think that getting – Uh, a full spring under Brian Borland, defensive coordinator, getting these new transfers acclimated. Um, It sounds like Lance Leipold has been really pleased with the defensive strides that they've been able to make. And so I think that's big because I think you look offensively, you're going to run the ball a lot. You know, you've got the really good running back room. You've got the tight ends. You've got all of a sudden now an offensive line room that you're probably going to look to bolster here in the portal this spring. But it's a group that has some experience there with Earl Bostic back and um, and Nowitzki there at center as well. So you know what you're going to get more or less offensively outside of the wide receiver position. Defensively, it's the question of can you take those strides forward so that you can run the ball, limit possessions, and play in a lot of one-score games. And it sounds like they've been able to do that. Um, I've heard good things about Lonnie Phelps, the defensive end transfer out of Miami, Ohio. Ohio State transfer Craig Young has been awesome by all accounts. Um, those are kind of the two headliners. And then Kalen Girvin, you know, Lance Leipold said he's been really steady and Giliard is going to provide depth there at linebacker with Rich Miller and Gavin Potter. So I think in general, it seems like the defense is gelling well heading into the fall. Um, and now the question is going to be, can you kind of build that depth and those, those secondary players that are going to kind of come in, play special teams, play, you know, 10 snaps a game around there and make it so that those starters can play at a really high level throughout the football game. So I think for me, what, everyone said about the defense, whether it be coaches or just people behind the scenes, it does sound like defensively, is going to be able to take some big strides forward this next season.
2: Here's Michael Swain. Check out all his stuff. Fog.net. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Michael, one last thing. Can you name at least four states that now have
0: land that was in the uh, Louisiana Purchase? Other than Louisiana, I'll say. <laughs> um, You've got, well, yeah, four, so, you got okay. 14 to choose from. I, oh
3: man! Okay, so land in Louisiana first. All right, so um, Louisiana, Mississippi. I,
0: well, I already said you can't do Louisiana. Oh, I can't do Louisiana. All right, that's fine.
3: Uh, let's go Mississippi. Nope. Uh, oh dang it. No geography. So <laughs> hard. Um, let's see. All right, so what else? Uh, Oklahoma. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, Missouri. Yep. Um. Uh Oklahoma, Missouri. Where are Derek I and I right now?
0: Where are Derek and I right now? Oh, Kansas. Of
3: oh I love, I love the tips. Let's go. Um, Colorado. Yep.
2: <laughs> Boom. That's four. Nice All job.
3: Right,
2: there we go. Aced it. There we go. <laughs> well, uh, go celebrate by eating some gumbo or jambalaya, whichever you end up with. Michael, appreciate the time as always, man. Definitely. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, with Adam Drivetta, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Scott Pollard joins us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> Joined now by a special guest here on Rock Shock Sports Talk, former member of RCST and former Jayhawk great. That would be Scott Pollard joining the show. Um, Scott, before we get into the basketball stuff, I'm curious. If if you were on this team Playing in a Final Four with a few days to kill in New Orleans, are you sneaking out of the hotel uh, one night like Brandon Rush did in San Antonio?
1: Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was terrified of Roy Williams. I I would never have uh, disobeyed the team rules there. Uh, So, yeah, no, I, I, I would have stayed in and took care of business.
2: Well, I think we need to get this out of the way now. You were on the uh, TBS broadcast the last Final 4K you was in, and coincidentally enough, also playing Villanova there. Uh, did you do something wrong? What happened there, and and what are you doing differently this year?
1: Well, it was uh, I think it was TNT, actually, but whatever. It's the it, same company. Um, and uh, it, it was brutal. I, I don't know what happened there, but we got smoked. And for sure, I am not going anywhere near uh, television broadcast, uh, or New Orleans this year. Uh, <laughs> my, my wife and I are actually flying. We've, we've got spring break up here in Indiana. So we're, we're taking the family down to, uh, a beach to be, uh, disclosed at a later date. And, um, <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're going to be watching from the beach.
2: I think you were in Chicago last week um, and you've been around or seen or played with a lot of great basketball teams at Kansas. Uh, What have you been so impressed with uh, about this year's rendition of the team?
1: Um, You know, this team, is it's a blessing and it's a curse of the same thing. It's the inconsistency. Uh, The inconsistency is what makes you frustrated. you got seniors on the team that have been uh, not great all the time, uh, but the the blessing about that is that they're still winning games and you you, you see them do incredible things and you just don't know who's going to get you. So, you know, if you're Jay Wright right now at Villanova, you're thinking, OK, it's Kansas. They're well coached, blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't get to focus on Ochai. He doesn't get to focus on Mack because Brown will kill you if you do that too much. Or, or Remy will come off the bench and kill you if you focus on too many of the starters, you know, um, when Adams came in at the end of the first half against Miami and absolutely locked down their entire franchise, uh, that was incredible. And and that's just a testament of the depth of this team. And that to me is more than makes up for the inconsistency that they've displayed throughout the season, because they're here, they're in the final four and and you you can't substitute that. The, the proof is in the pudding. I'm a, I'm a big guy, a, a big proponent of that idea. But they're here, uh, and whatever is working is working, and, and that's why they're here. And so you just have to say, you know what, we'll take the good with the bad. They can have a bad half against Miami and then come back and absolutely destroy them in the second half. Can they do that against Villanova? No, probably not. You can't afford a bad half against any of the teams left in the tournament. But uh, they are uh, a scary team from the standpoint of trying to scout them. Trying to scout them and find out what their weakness is. There's a lot of them, <laughs> but they also have a lot of strengths. And so it's it's the good and the bad. It's the blessing and the curse of this team. Uh, and and I think it's just a, it, it's a fun team to watch because of that.
2: Obviously, from a you know performance standpoint and what you guys did in 1997, where you have one loss in in the entire season from uh, the regular season. Obviously, that's different. But just in terms of the you know, the playing style, what this team wants to do, uh, run fast, get out in transition, crash the offensive glass, uh, have all those different players who on any given night can kind of step up. Is there any part of this team that does remind you of some of the teams that you played on?
1: Um, probably just the depth because of the, the guys that can come off the bench and, and still kill you. You know, not every team has some, some players like that. And, and so I would say that's that's the one thing this team has, that the teams I played on that Kansas had is, is guys coming off the bench that can absolutely take over a game and, and win the game for you. Uh, it, it's, it's again, fun to watch. I'm, 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 you know, because we're here, if, if, if Kansas hadn't made the playoffs, it'd be the same story, except the inconsistency is what got the best of them. But, but we did make the, the postseason and and they are here uh, and they are in the final four. So the, the mad scientist that is Bill Self was able to get the most out of the team that uh, is inconsistent. Even the seniors don't play great night in and night out. Uh, And, you know, I'm objective. I I try to be as objective as possible. But, um, man, these kids are fun to watch. And and, uh, I love seeing – I love watching the games because uh, you you can't depend on one guy every night. It, It is somebody different every night, and that's what makes it so much fun to watch this team.
2: I think one of the most interesting matchups about this Villanova game is going to come with the center position. Obviously, you mentioned some of the inconsistencies of of KU, and we've seen that at times this year um, at the center position for KU. But when you look at Villanova... um, Their five-man, whoever it is, is either going to be somebody who can shoot threes or somebody who can take you off the dribble and and kind of take you off the bounce as more of kind of an athletic wing driver. Uh, How much does that, as a former center yourself, like how much does that affect you as a player when you want to kind of stick down low and you have to go up into these different kind of matchups that make you a little more uncomfortable?
1: Well, there, there, teams are always going to try to do that, right? you get a dominant guard, they're going to try to put a big guy, a longer guy on him that can guard him and try to slow him down. And, and, and same thing with, with Jay Wright right now. He's probably trying to figure out a way to neutralize Mac inside uh, because we don't have a lot of depth at that position. I mean, Lightfoot comes in and is great uh, as a role player, uh, but he can't exactly kill you. He's not going to go for 20 and 10. Uh, you know, he might, but probably not. And so when, when you're looking at it uh, to try to expose uh, mismatches, you know, Miami went small uh, in the last game, and that didn't work out very well for them. We went small, too, and, and destroyed it. So, um, you know, there's, there's, it's a double-edged sword. When you try to go small or try to junk up a game on lineup to try to exploit a matchup because you're trying to get a big guy out of the game or you're trying to get a guard out of the game, um, you know, it's a team sport. And, and that's, again, it goes back to <laughs> – the fact that Kansas has so many weapons, uh, you know, when a guy Adams comes off the bench, I mean, I can't say it enough. It, being there in person and watching him come off the bench for 10 seconds or however long he was in the game in the first half, he completely changed the complexion of that game. In, in his one defensive stance, he, he just absolutely put Kansas on his back, didn't score a, bus, a basket, but changed the complexion of the game because – we needed him to. We needed somebody to get a stop, and he came in and got that stop. And, and that's, you know, when when you're trying to exploit these matchups, as I said, um, it it's just it becomes a chess battle, right? You, you're going to try to use which pieces you think are going to work, uh, and, and with with the number of tools that Bill Self has right now, uh, I, I like our chances. Not just because they have an injury to the Achilles. I can't remember the kid's name. Just enough. That's kind an of injury, and, and I would never celebrate that. I'm bummed because I'd rather beat Villanova at full strength, uh, but it's also a little scary because you know a wounded animal is more dangerous. You know the, the team right now is like, okay, everybody's going to step up, and you're going to get everybody's best effort now because they're not going to be able to rely on one of their superstars. So uh, that makes it a little bit more scary for Kansas. Uh, so it's not a walkover. it's not a pushover, and it certainly shouldn't be a reason for anybody on the Kansas side to relax uh, just because one of their superstars is out, but um, you, you take advantage of what you have, and, and if they try to go small, I, I like our chances, because we have a great lineup of guards that we can go in and do that, and, and be small, and guard people, and still get rebounds, uh, because our guards rebound. Everybody, I mean, shoot, <laughs> Randy jumped in there, and they put it all over the social media, and I mean, Remy was in there rebounding the smallest guy in the court, got a monster rebound in the second half, uh, just flying in there. So, uh, again, the, the pieces are coming together. They, they are together. Uh, Kansas is playing great basketball right now, and, and I like our chances.
2: If you could play with, with one of these players in your prime, is there a player on KU you, you most wish you could play with?
1: Uh, let's see. Probably Brown. Uh, because I, I'd get that kid open, I, I, I would knock his guy down every time down the court and let and let him shoot freeze And I know that he'd find me if if, he, if my guy jumped onto him and, and I rolled to the basket. I know he'd find me. I, I, the two man game with me and him would probably be pretty stellar. Um, but there's a lot of them. I mean, Remy would be a whole lot of fun because you can just tell he's a floor general. He's a uh, different type of player, but but the guy that has a mentality like Jock Vaughn, he just wants to to make his team successful, whether he scores passes out all the assists, or, or just runs the offense. He, no matter what, uh, Remy is a guy that, that's team first, so he'd be a lot of fun to play with, too. Um, Ochai, I mean, it's always fun to play with super talented guys, uh, and, and so it'd be fun to play with him, too. I mean, I could go down the list, but, uh, you know, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be Brown, because I, I, I like that two-man game. That, that was It was a lot of fun with Jared Hass uh, and, and Billy Thomas coming off the bench for us, so I, I, it'd be fun with Brown because uh, it, it'd it be a lot of fun to, to, to do that two-man game with him and, and get him some wide-open threes.
2: He is Scott Pollard. He will not be in New Orleans at the game. <laughs> Scott, appreciate you coming on. Before we let you go, we do a little quick thing with my producer and co-host, Adam Dravetta called One Last Thing with Adam. All right, Scott, one last thing. What was a tougher
0: role to prepare for, B.H. Bourne or the Axeman at Cutters Creek?
1: Oh man, probably the Axeman. I, I had a lot more screen time in the Axeman. I had to murder people. B.H. Uh, Bourne, I just had to remember one line. I was in a phone booth and just announcing that I had discovered Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> uh, but but the, but the Axeman, I was dismembering people. I had to practice uh, ways to grab these people in, in real life. And there was a couple of stunts, nothing major, because I'm old and broken, but um, there, you know, there's a couple of stunts that we had to make sure that, that nobody got hurt, mostly the other people, because I, I had to pick up a girl uh, oh, wow. for one of them <laughs> and make it look like I was choking her to death, and and we, we needed to make sure that she was okay, uh, and she did a great job. She just basically did a pull-up on my hands, on my wrists, and I made it, it really looked great. It looked like I was choking her out, and uh, she was just basically doing a pull-up on my wrists, and so... It worked out for everybody, but yeah, much harder to, to prepare to, to be a serial killer than, than a guy that's just <laughs> announcing news.
0: <laughs> well, he well I'm, I'm glad to hear that being a serial killer is something you had to prepare for, not something yeah. that you were just going to say, no, it came perfectly <laughs> natural to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, Scott, I, I,
1: That would be a terrible answer, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. No, no it was just it was like every Thursday, you
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, I appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Scott Pollard. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Adam vet, I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, We played for you earlier today, Bill Sell, speaking with the media. Still have a little of that to get to. Also, a bunch of the KU players spoke with the media earlier today. We'll get that to you next. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About a quarter till five, this is Rock Shock Sports Talk. Shane Jackson joins us at the top of the five o'clock hour. And a reminder, we're going to have a uh, little extra show, six to seven from the Jayhawk Radio Network tonight. Tomorrow, we're out a little bit early at 5.30 for coverage of Westwood one from the women's final four. And then on Saturday, we are going to have your KU coverage. Me and Adam are going to be out at the Granada live two thirty to three 30. Jayhawk radio network will take over at three 30 tip off at five Oh nine. After the post game coverage of the KU game, we'll switch over to Westwood one coverage of whatever is still left in the North Carolina Duke game. So uh, lots to go on this weekend. We also have more Westwood one coverage on Sunday with more women's final four coverage. So, as we teased on the other side, KU has won nine Final Four games. I'm talking semifinal games, not the national championship games. I want to rank from ninth to first the most entertaining games, the best games that have happened of those nine that KU has won. So, this isn't about, again, the impact of the win. You know, I could I could go to uh, 1952 or maybe, yeah, 1952 and say, That blowout win that they had in the semifinals was a super important win because it led to a title, but it was also a blowout game, you know. So um, it's not about the importance of the win. It's about the game itself. How fun of a game in isolation was it? So let's go ahead and get things rolling. Number nine on this list, 1953. 1953, uh, as we all remember, um, KU took on Washington. In the final four. Seventy The eighth horn had a big role in that one. He by did. The way. He had twenty five points. Yeah, he backed up Lavella
0: the year before on the title team, and then really had a coming out party that whole fifty two fifty three season.
2: He was one of four Jayhawks in double figures that game. The reason this is ninth seventy nine fifty three. It wasn't even on TV. This is nineteen fifty three. It does matter here. Um Again, it was a blowout. Not really a good game ever. KU just took them to the woodshed. It so. it
0: the it was an unfortunate result in the title game for Kansas that year, but the title game was a 69-68, wasn't
2: it? Against Indiana. Really close yeah.
0: game. So they, it was a very exciting title game. Um, but unfortunately, KU came up on the wrong end of it. But look. The ninth-best national semifinal victory mm-hmm. is still a hell of a good place to be.
2: Yeah, all of these are good. Your worst one can still be an amazing You're celebration. Still, in the, wor- the worst of these games still
0: resulted in Kansas advancing to the national championship.
2: It's like if we were to rank the best Elite Eight wins for Kansas in the Bill Self era, the Miami game is probably lowest because it was a blowout. Yeah, it depends. But it's still it, wonderful. If you're just talking
0: about in terms of your own personal health, it felt pretty damn no, good I to be able to. No, I just mean in terms of like. I know, but you if know, you just mean in, in terms of relaxation, being able to kick back and know it was over at the under eight timeout was pretty nice. Yeah. A nice change of pace from the other Final Four, the other Elite Eight seed one.
2: Okay, back to this one. Number eight on the list, as I mentioned, nineteen fifty-two. Kansas beat Santa Clara seventy-four to fifty-five. Clyde Lavella had thirty-three points in that game. And by the way, I just made note of this. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that's going to be made about Grady Dick coming to KU. He had the uh, jacket uh, with McDonald's that said "McDick" on it, um, which I think I can say on there. I don't know. It's a name. It's his last name. Yeah. Um, Santa Clara's leading scorer in the game. This is about really the only interesting part of this game. His name was Dick Soares. Mm, yeah. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it just is. Which we hope all
0: the players avoid in New Orleans this <laughs> <Yeah>. weekend.
2: <laughs> I don't know. We might have to make this an RCSD trivia question. This would have to be in like the really hard. But I hope you're listening now. Because if you're listening now and you get this question in the really hard column, you know, who led Santa Clara in scoring in the nineteen fifty two final four against Kansas? Remember the name, Dick Soars. That's just saying a name. Not saying anything bad. Just saying a name. Uh but yeah, not not again, not a really competitive game. KU won going away. Um they ended up winning the title that year, so obviously it was of much importance. But they the won that game going great. away too. Yeah, they did. The that was a good 63. Team. Okay, uh this is where things start to get a little more interesting. This one might be controversial. This one you might feel the same way about the Miami game, although this one wasn't even that close early on with KU trailing at halftime against Miami. Not three. Oh three. Yeah, that that's game, number seven. That game was so
0: fun just because I think that it was tied like five to five and then tied again, I think twelve to twelve, and then Kansas just bowled over Marquette and it was one of those things where you you know it was it was great to go back to the final four but you kind of thought all right the year before Kansas had um gone to the final four but lost to Maryland and that was kind of a de facto title game because those were two best teams that was that Maryland Kansas game in the final four was what led to the NCAA to decide to uh seed the one seeds it's um, funny how
2: many of those rules have been overall uh, revolved around Kansas 2016. They started choosing asking, your region, yeah, yeah, the number one overall where um, they want to go. But the, yeah, so that um or 2017 cuz it was
0: But going into that game, there were some big expectations. I think the expectations would have been much lesser cuz uh, cuz Kentucky was that particular year they had not yet started ranking the ones. They didn't start doing that till 04. Um However, Dwayne Wade and Marquette as a three-seed upset Kentucky in the Elite Eight that year, and that was the day after. K- Kansas knew they were going to the Final Four by the time that game took place, because their went over Arizona it was Saturday night. So, Sunday afternoon, Dwayne Wade and Marquette upset Kentucky, so you, you're not only are you back in the Final Four, you're favored. And so, I think there was some level of pressure on that team, because you're not playing number one seed Kentucky. You're you're playing a team you are, at least from a Vegas standpoint, you should beat.
2: You know what's funny? And they just rolled them. It was amazing. I'm looking at the line of that game right now. Four and a half? It was four and a half, Ooh. which is half a point different than KU over Villanova right now. Um, that, that blows my mind. But it was just an absolute. Yeah, 94 smacking. 61. Again, yeah. wasn't really a competitive game. KU had 59 points in the first yeah. half.
0: It was, it was a. It was just fun and, and again cathartic because Kansas had, had a close game against Duke in the Sweet 16, a close game against Arizona in the Elite 8.
2: Um, Keith Langford had 23 on 11 of 14, Collison 12, 15, and 5. And this is what's crazy though. As many points as Kansas scored it was 94-61 this game barely hit the over. So the one thing, it was 153, so only two points over. So the one thing that may have made it a little more entertaining at the end was trying to get to the over. So
0: they kind of expected it to be like a 78-74 kind of game.
2: I guess. Um, all right, into the top six, number six. Don't have to spend much time on this one. 1957, KU dominated San Francisco, 80-56. to 56. With the stilt. Wilt Chamberlain at 32-11. and 11. Um, It was actually a close game at halftime. KU was only up 38-34, but they blew the doors off them in the second half. So that's, I guess, more similar to the Miami game, although still in front instead of uh, losing. Okay, into the top five. This one, you could make the argument should be higher because it's clearly a very, very close game, but also no TVs and it's a disgusting score. 1940. Yeah, I was going to... Kansas defeats USC 43-42. Pre shot clock, baby. Yep, uh, Dick Harp had 15 points for KU. By the way, this was played in the West Regional, which nowadays you see the West Regional, San Francisco, uh, LA, kind of, San Diego. Kind of about the- it was in Kansas City.
0: Dick Harp's kind of a funny name too. Now that I think about it, I mean, it's not Dick Soars, and no. it's certainly not Magic Johnson. Yeah, but and we don't talk about that enough. <laughs> How Magic Johnson's name is Magic Johnson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just
2: been so normalized.
0: You just hear it. And you're like, oh yeah, great basketball. If player. he was just like you a really backup sit basketball down and player, think about
2: that guy's name, yeah. you're like, whoa. Okay, into the top four because this is where it starts to get interesting. This is where I think you could realistically, I think, put any of these four at number one. 1991. I have slightly in at number four. I thought about having this at number three. Again, you could argue number one. I have Roy beats his mentor. That's right, Dean Smith. 79-73. Um, Adonis Jordan. Mark Randall each had 16 points. Alonzo Jamison, Mark Randall each had 11 rebounds. KU had 16 offensive rebounds. I was watching back this game earlier today. KU got huge offensive rebounds in big moments. Guess who the leading scorer for North Carolina was that game with 25 points? Um, 91...
0: I don't know. Eric Montross comes to mind, but I he actually
2: fouled out. Also, Eric, Rick Fox fouled out and had Eric a bad Montross game. Montross fouled out. Yes, Montross and Rick Fox. The leading scorer of that game was Hubert Davis. Really, was the head coach for North Carolina. Okay, it's a cool little fun that fact. That was there. the game.
0: The Kansas made the Elite Eight uh, or made the Final Four that year because Nolan Richardson at Arkansas apparently didn't learn enough from what not to do against a Roy Williams coach team, which is press because. The hogs were you know the Arkansas Razorbacks were running that 40 minutes of hell mm-hmm. full court press and we all saw Kansas against Kentucky at one point had obliterated that press and scored 150 points K scored 94 over Arkansas I think it was 94 81 they beat him in the elite eight. Um and then yeah, Roy got uh, you wouldn't call it revenge, but but no. beat, beat his mentor in the in the semifinal.
2: Yeah, Ku was a four point underdog in that game. You know, keep this in mind. So Duke ended up winning the title that year. Coach K's first title. North Carolina had beaten Duke in the ACC tournament by 22 points. So, like, this was clearly a very good North Carolina team. Kansas beat them. It was a, it was a fast-paced, fun athletic game. As you'd imagine, Roy Williams and his former, like, it's too similar style. So, you're running up and down a lot. Now, neither team shot it really well. But the pace was super exciting up and down. Um, Kansas was actually up nine at half. North Carolina scored seven of the first nine in the second half. And then the game kept kind of sitting around six to ten, KU in front. North Carolina might cut it to four. They couldn't really get over the hump. Eventually, it was 58-57. North Carolina had the ball with a chance to take the lead under eight minutes to go and then Sean Tunstall hit a big 3 after getting a steal 6 minutes to go that kick started a 7-0 run and then from there KU kind of the lead kind of tilted between like 5 and 8 from there and and KU eventually won Dean Smith actually got ejected from wow. the game late uh, by the way
0: Kansas has uh, 6 victories as a 2 seed over a, or as a as a 2 or worse seed over a uh, one seed, and that was one of them.
2: Okay. As a, as a three, the UNC. Do you have the others in front of uh, you?
0: Danny Manning and the Miracles over mm-hmm. OU as a six over one. Three over one in 91, Arkansas and UNC. Mm-hmm. Then they went uh, as the next three were all to get to a final four. 93 in the Elite Eight over Indiana. 03 in the Elite Eight over Arizona. And 12 over North Carolina in the Elite Eight.
2: Cool little fun fact there. Okay. Uh, next on the list. Number three, I'm going 08 KU North Carolina because the game itself was a little out of hand. If that game was against anybody besides North
0: Carolina, it would be lower on this list.
2: Yeah. But um, because
0: of who it was... 40 to freaking 12.
2: Yeah. And it's really fun. And that game ended up getting closer. Number two on the list. We got to go quick here. KU Duke in 1988. Kansas won 66 59. They got revenge for the 1986 Final Four loss. They got revenge for a 1988 regular season loss. Danny Manning had 25 10 and 6. Milt Newton added 20 points. He had a crazy pass that um, ended a. Duke got an 18 to 5 run after KU went up 11 at halftime. Um, and Duke started coming back. I, I put it on my Twitter account. You can find the highlight there. Duke, though, was only down 55 52 with four minutes left, 57 54, two minutes left. It was a close game. Danny Manning gets a big tip back. And then from there, it just becomes a free throw game late. KU hits their free throws and, and wins by seven. The number one, though, that I have on here Giant 2012 crazy comeback by KU. At the have, end of the first half. It was great. Do I,
0: I got to tell my fair I know we're coming up against mm-hmm. the break. I have to tell this. So Kansas had made comebacks that, you know, Again, all, all tournament long, and, and of course going back to the regular season, the comeback against Missouri, they, they'd made so many great comebacks, and, and Ohio State had a lead at halftime, and I remember Jim Nance. There was some play. I, I can't remember who made the shot, but Kansas made a shot, and Kansas at this point was still trailing, but Jim Nance even said, you can feel the momentum of this building starting to change, and they showed Thomas Robinson who just had this super-focused look the focused look on his face. Um, and it was just, and then of course, the end of the game where I can't remember if it was Tyshawn throwing it away, trying yeah, to get to Elijah or vice versa, but craziness down the stretch. But then, of course, the Aaron Craft lane violation. Yeah,
2: yeah, KU led it 2 nothing. They didn't lead again until fifty six fifty five. 55 and went back and forth, crazy game late. All right, we're going to talk with uh, Shane Jackson coming up next. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. depending on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, from KLWN and KLWN.com. With Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson, joined now by Shane Jackson of WinBet. And Shane's going to help us break down the final four from kind of the betting lines standpoint. Uh, so KU's sitting somewhere around kind of that minus four range right now against Villanova. Uh, Shane, I'm curious, which, which side are the bets? Which side is the money coming in on? And, and what is that usually indicative of?
4: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? I feel like, you know, after that Creighton game, it felt like kind of the market wanted to fade Kansas for the next couple weeks, and then they saw one good half from Kansas, and now everyone's ready to jump (laughs) back in. Uh, Because, you know, 63% of the bet so far uh, here at WinBet is on Kansas in the spread. Uh, The money's kind of right around 50-50, but it seems like ticket count-wise, I mean, people are ready to jump back in on Kansas. I think Moore's absence has a lot to do with that as well. Um, you kind of saw the line. I mean, it opened at three and a half, and, and that number was kind of short-lived. So that was kind of indicative of what what people think about this game so far. Uh, and I imagine, you know, kind of the money's going to end up on Kansas in this particular matchup.
2: Which of those – because Vegas always makes money, right? So, like, which of those usually is more important that um... – is better to be on, like, the the side with? Is it to be on the side with where more of the money is? Is it to be on the side with more of the bets? Is it better to be on the side with with less of each? Uh, Does that typically factor in at all for, for kind of, like, betting advice?
4: Yeah, it kind of just depends on the game, right? I, I, in general speaking, I think you know you probably want to you want to be on the side where the more the money is at, just because that, I mean, if there's more money on one team, right, then maybe that means that sharper players are, are playing that particular side, and if there's kind of a split between the tickets and the money that maybe you would rather be on the money side because you know, maybe tickets might be more indicative of kind of the public betting, right? If someone's just betting. You know, $20 is not going to move the needle on the money uh, per se. But yeah, in general, I would say money, but, you know, it's kind of depends on the particular game. I think kind of these games, we can kind of overanalyze that just because they are kind of the bigger matchups. And generally speaking, it probably doesn't matter. Um, Kind of, you know, know, it shows that with the fact that both these games have similar spreads.
2: The over under for the KU game is in the kind of low to mid 130s. Is there a side that you're leaning to on that? Yeah,
4: I I know. Like most people, want to jump to the under because hey, you know, Villanova's. You know, we're going to play at a certain pace, and 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 maybe if they dictate the pace, that'll lead to a slower game and less points. And you know, obviously, people are going to kind of overanalyze maybe the fact that they're playing in a football stadium, and maybe look to trends from years ago when they played in stadiums like this, but. I think I'll, I'll wait and see if that number kind of moves down and, and maybe play the over. But right now it feels like people are kind of flocking towards the under. Uh, and, and I think that it, the number right now itself it makes a lot of sense, but if it moves another point or two, maybe, maybe I would lean towards the over. Um, but right now I would say kind of a no play.
2: With Villanova me. wanting to, to slow it down more in, in KU, benefiting more from an up and down game and getting out in transition. Um, I guess that would mean if you're probably in on the under, you probably should be in on Villanova, whereas if you're in on the over, you probably are in on Kansas, right?
3: Yeah,
4: I think that's a that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, generally speaking, especially when it's like these two are so different from each other. Uh, if you are in on one, you're probably in on that way. Uh, I am in on Kansas, kind of bet them right away when the line opened, just because I expected that kind of number to move to four and a half range. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I would lean the over as well. And I think that makes a lot of sense if you if you're if you believe that Kansas kind of. Can push this into the high sixty possession games. Uh, that means you probably think it's going to go over. And, and, and whereas if you're on Villanova, you think it's going to be more of a sixty possession game, and you'll probably lean the under.
2: You know, KU giving up four points. Duke is essentially giving up four points to North Carolina too. Is it is that surprising at all when you saw the lines that basically North Carolina, an eighth seed, is getting the same amount of points essentially as the two seed is in Villanova.
4: Yeah, maybe if you look at it that way. But, I mean, if you look at most metrics, and I know you use them as well, like North Carolina has been one of the hotter teams for the last month or so. I mean, this isn't just kind of a tournament run. They were kind of putting it together towards the end of the year. And and I think, you know, people are adjusting. You know, the market's adjusting. The betting ratings are adjusting accordingly. And I think, you know, North Carolina – uh, it is a lot better than maybe its seed would reflect, uh, especially at, at this stage of the season. So, uh, no, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. Actually, the thing that does surprise me about this game is I kind of expected more money on Duke right away, and, and maybe more bets will come in over the next couple of days. But right now, I mean, only 54% of bets are in on Duke so far, and the money's pretty split 50-50. So I kind of thought Duke would be public. It has been public the last few weeks or the last few games. Um, but right now, it's kind of even split between these two teams.
2: Uh, much higher over/under on that game with North Carolina and Duke <laughs> in the 150s. Uh, do you have a lean on that way, one way or another?
4: Yeah, honestly, just the over at this point. Just be fun, right? Uh, no, it's. Uh, I think uh, you know, 71 percent of the money's in on the over. I think I lean the over as well. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, kind of the, 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 the drastic difference between these two games, right? And, and maybe seeing points kind of put up in a hurry and, and the kind of the nightcap. And honestly, this is good. Uh, you know, I know much of the airwaves will be spent talking about this game in particular, but this game is going to be very exciting. Uh, and if you are, you know, kind of wanting to fade Duke or bet against Duke, I mean, this is a good matchup for that because, you know, they haven't really played. Uh, an offense maybe capable of put, kind of putting it on them, like North Carolina can uh, in this game. So uh, I would lean the over, and uh, I'm I'm kind of monitoring the lines and hoping for a better number on North Carolina because I do want to end up betting North Carolina as well.
2: See, I I feel like my heart would say bet North Carolina, but my head would say bet Duke, and you're supposed to bet with your head. I I just yeah. I don't know. I'm in this I'm in this mindset where I just I at this point I can't see Coach K losing. He's two games away from from immortality of of doing the insufferable
4: yeah i think that's a fair point i have i think this is going to be the third game in a row that i will bet against duke and it obviously mm. has not worked out in my favor uh i'm still kind of salty about the michigan state game and how that ended uh because it kind of came down to the wire there and i get the best of the number and it still was on the wrong side so uh but no i made this number a lot closer than the the current spread would reflect so i'm I'm hoping for maybe a four and a half or a five but i'll probably settle for whatever the best number is as we get close to tip off
2: i know this isn't the super bowl where literally there are props for everything but are there any game props you've seen, points totals for players, anything like that that, that maybe pique your interest for this game? Or is that not really um, in the market for Final Four games?
4: Yeah, it, it's interesting. win WinBet, we don't really offer a whole lot of props there. It's not really a market that I attack a whole lot. But, uh, you know, in the tournament, I've been kind of careless with some of these bets, and I've bet them a little bit more. Uh, but those markets tend to not, at least not out here in Nevada anyways. They tend to not show up until maybe the day of the game or the you know the day before the game. So even as of Thursday afternoon here, uh, we still do not have a whole lot of access to these kind of props. Uh, and whereas maybe maybe the rest of the betting world does. Uh, so I'm kind of envious of people who are outside in Nevada and are able to bet them already. But that is not the case for, for me. So nothing has caught my eye because I'm not really looking at the props yet.
2: Well, as far as futures go, um, whether it's you know future on winning the title or I, I don't know if this would be considered a prop or a future, but you know picking a player to win Final Four, mop or whatnot, does anything stick out to you as having good value for either of those?
4: Yeah, uh, I mean uh, we don't have uh, outstanding player props here, but you know the future itself. I mean Duke is the favorite at plus one fifty five, and Kansas is actually second at plus one ninety. And I, you know, even entering this round i still think kansas has the value right because you're you're talking about them being a four four and a half point favorite in this game and then i think if you got to the championship game i wouldn't be surprised if if kansas maybe opens minus one or it's like it's close to a pick so i i think those numbers should be a lot closer in terms of futures uh, i did not get invested into it because i already bet kansas at 15 to one you know, about a month ago, so I, I'm kind of locked in there. But plus 190 being second behind Duke and that big of a difference, I still think Kansas has the, the best value in terms of futures. Um, but if you're wanting to go North Carolina at plus 525, I also wouldn't hate that either.
2: Well, plus 190, are you better off taking that or are you better off just picking Kansas to win money line and then just basically, you know, parlaying that out for them to win the next game? Would that be at all equivalent or is that kind of factored in there?
4: Yeah, that's generally probably the better way to do it, right? I mean, I think they're going to be about a minus 185 favorite uh, in this particular game, and then it would be close to a pick in the next game. So there's a chance that that would be the better way to do it. Um, but, you know, that's also probably less fun for people who, who want to bet it right now. But, yeah, if you wanted to kind of just roll it over, I think that might be the better approach, especially if you're doing it for maybe the underdogs. I think that's definitely the best approach. If you if you pick Villanova or North Carolina, you're probably probably better off rolling it over.
2: Do you have any clue what, you know, based on, I guess we could have what, four different um, possible national championship matchups? I don't know if that math is right. Um, do you have any clue what the lines would be based on possible NCAA championship matchups on Monday? Yeah,
4: I think, I think, I, I do think Duke, Kansas, if that, I mean, that seems like the most likely outcome, right? Uh, it, it would probably be a pick um, I think, you know, my number would make it, you know, Kansas minus one and a half. I'm guessing it won't be that drastic. I think it would be uh, probably minus one at most for Kansas or Duke. I, I, I bet you're kind of hovering around a pick them. Um But I wouldn't be surprised if if it's any other matchup, the spread is going to be kind of similar to what these final four matchups are, right? If it's, it's Kansas versus North Carolina, I'm thinking, you know, a four, four and a half point line is probably uh, right in line there. And then the same thing if it's Duke and Villanova, it's probably you know four four and a half maybe five points uh, uh, as high as that. I think that is probably uh, where I would guess it right now. Um, the market kind of fluctuates pretty crazy though uh, in the tournament. Again, re- recency bias can be uh, a big thing. So, but no, I think I think that is probably the likely outcome.
2: Better value: the Royals to win the World Series or Ku football to win the Big Twelve? <laughs> uh, you have to put a hundred dollars down. Pick one. <laughs>
4: Yeah, it's definitely the Royals, right? The the that that seems like an actual possibility uh as opposed to the other um mm-hmm. does not seem likely or even possible. Um so yeah, no. Uh, baseball, especially with those kind of longer numbers, I would definitely only take a stab at that versus uh yeah, anything football related.
2: All right, he is Shane Jackson. You can check out all his work at Winbet. Uh before I let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Shane, one last thing. Who is Dick Soares? Who what?
0: Who is Dick Soares? I do not know. Uh, you should listen to our show more often. Uh, he was a uh, he played for Santa Clara, uh, and uh, we our last segment we were discussing uh, KU victories in the national semifinals, and one of them came against Santa Clara, and Santa Clara's leading scorer that. Uh, that uh, game was uh, a gentleman named Dick Soares, and Derek had uh, quite the giggle at that. I, He promised he'd explain to me uh, what why he was laughing when we get to the commercial break. But anyway, I just didn't know if you'd heard of him.
4: No, I haven't, but I told myself I should listen to the segment before I hopped on because I knew you would ask me a weird question, and I uh, totally meant to do I did something else instead of doing that. So had I done that originally like I planned, I would have had the answer.
2: There you go. Well, uh, that's a lesson to everyone. Listen to the show or die. No, I don't know. Uh, Shane, <laughs> Shane, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much, Derek. All right. That's Shane Jackson of WinBet with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN as well as KLWN.com. We uh, did not get to all of the Bill Self audio speaking at media availability earlier today. We'll play the rest of that for you on the other side. This is RCST.